Welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is the podcast created to help you become a rock star of the recording studio. Hey everybody, it's Lid Shaw, your host for Recording Studio Rockstars, coming to you from the Toy Box Studio, the sound of East Nashville. This show is here to introduce you to real-world recording professionals to hear their stories and learn from their experiences so that you can take your recordings to the next level and become a rock star of the recording studio yourself. My guest today is a rock star of the studio and a self-described musical octopus, Writing, recording, producing, and touring for the past two decades. A Harvard grad, no less. He started out in theater in New York City and moved into a multi-album recording and touring career with Atlantic Records. Eh, something like that. That's, something uh, like who, that. I didn't write that, but uh, you know, oh, sweet. We'll it's, get, it's explainable. We'll get deeper into that. Sure. Working with everyone from LL Cool J... Nice. True to story. Martina McBride. Also true. He has produced and toured around the world. He's a voting member of the Grammys and a member of ASCAP. And when he's not in the studio, he can be found playing piano, guitar, or singing on the stage, mixing live sound, or perhaps behind a DJ rig. True story. All of this is true so far. You can see our guest in action online playing with Martina McBride. Um, Sugarland, Miranda Lambert, Michelle Branch, Little Big Town, and even on Fox Morning News and PBS. I'll be, uh, he's presently touring with James Walpert of NBC's The Voice. And of course, I'll have links to all these in the show notes for you to check out. Please welcome my good friend, Russell Wolf. Russell, are you ready to rock? I am so ready. And thank you for the caffeine. You're welcome, dude. <laughs> I started out, Russell, of course, with a tall cup from our espresso machine here at the Toy Box Studio, a key tool in our in our toolbox. 100% unfiltered Jamaican blue mountain coffee. It's awesome. So thank you. Well, so Russell, I've I've done a little bit of an introduction there. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, you know, where who who are you? How did you start this musical journey and get here? Well, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a peace-loving guy. <laughs> which is uh, which is tough to tell sometimes. So stay away from my Facebook rants. You're um, not talking about firearms, are you? No. Hey, let's let's not, not that go kind there. of piece. No, no, no. You know, you know. I hey, I'm a love everybody kind of guy, and uh, the truth is, uh, music for me started out as a uh, just an escape. You know, really, I think I think a lot of people that grew up in the arts, uh, music really was an escape for. Um, you know, when I came up through the arts, I think as a kid, it's very different now than it used to be. You know, when I was a kid, the only TV shows for, you know, they, they didn't have The Voice, American Idol, or these kind of things. I mean, when I remember, it was, you had um, uh, Ed McMahon, you had, a, you know, Star Search. In fact, one of my friends, I remember he was on Star Search at like 10 years old. He tours with Keb Mo now. It's kind of funny. Nice. Or The Gong Show, if the you're Gong lucky, show. right? The Gong Show. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, very different kind of shows, but, um, you know, now I think, uh, with reality TV, uh, today's kids kind of have a different view of what it means to be an artist or, you know, what art represents to them. And, uh, they have this, in my opinion, I think they, they grow up with this feeling of, oh, it's this fame thing, or it's this, uh, you know, they're destined for this fame greatness. Whereas, uh, the arts I think used to be, uh, an escape for people. And I, I think really for centuries, 
it, it really used to be that way. I mean, going back thousands of years, really. Um, and it really has changed within a, a short period of time, pretty yeah, massively. Now, now it's a little more prepackaged, like getting those, you know, those potato chip bags with just the right size for each one of your lunches at school. You know, when the truth is, you really want the whole bag, and you you want the eight, <laughs> the full eight ounce bag. You want to escape with the bag of yeah. chips. You want to escape into the bag of chips and never leave. So, yeah. right on, man. A Harvard grad. I want to ask you a little bit about that. I actually come from. A lineage of Harvard grads, and I broke the mold and did not go to Harvard myself. So it's nice that you're bringing a little bit of that into the studio here. Um, you were in Boston, huh? I was in Boston, and and to touch on the Harvard thing, I, I would be uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell a little of that story because it's it's a fair bit misleading, I think, to just say I'm a Harvard grad. So um, on the one hand. I feel like my story is a little more heroic than than I think the average Harvard story in that I was truly a terrible student. I mean, I'm like the worst student ever. Um, I, I was a, a flunky in, in high school. You know, I was the burnout kid. You were like the Matthew Broderick of Harvard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, I was the burnout artist kid. I was always, uh, I mean, in high school, I was always stoned. I always had shades on. I know it's hard to tell when, when people hear this and if, if they go to any of the links, they're going to see this bald guy. And I, I haven't had hair in over 20 years, but at a time I had like, if you remember fast times at Richmond high, oh, yeah. um, I looked like uh, Sean Penn character. That was kind of what I looked like in high school then with shades. And I really never carried any books in school. I just carried a guitar and I really didn't what go to any- Spicoli or something? Yeah, was that it? Yeah, I think so. Spicoli, which sounds like a delicious sandwich meat, to be honest. It does. And if you haven't seen that movie, just to give it some context, he was the guy who like ordered a pizza to be delivered in the middle of class. Which I believe is something I would have done and probably did do several times um, at high school. And, uh, you know, so I really had a tough time both growing up and uh, trying to be a student. I had really bad ADD at a time when I think a lot of people were being overdiagnosed with it and it was kind of a fad thing. But I, I really did struggle with that and do struggle with that throughout my whole life and legitimately, you know, with that. I'm sorry, what are we talking about? Exactly. So, uh, so caffeine is really great for me. And that's, uh, I love the color of that wall. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, man, now what were we talking about? Squirrels. Damn you, squirrels. So, um, Harvard, you were, you Harvard, were a comedian. You. you were like outside. You were kind of okay. goofing off. Now, let's not forget that Harvard also welcomed that. That was home of National Lampoon. It was. So maybe, I don't know if there's a connection <laughs> yeah. there. but So the connection was... So basically, it took me 16 years to get a to get a college degree. So that's the, the long and short of it was, I leave you know high school barely. So I flunked out. I had to go to summer school while I was going to uh, camp for you know performing arts. So I'm I'm already on this arts track because that's really where I'm finding my home: theater, singing, music, all that. And that's really the only place I feel like I fit in anywhere. Um, you know, so I'm already on this track to go touring, writing music, making records. And by the time I'm 16 through 18, I'm already out there doing that. Um, and I wasn't planning on college, but, you know, I went to some college parties and I'm like, wow, college seems cool. Everybody's hanging out, having a good time in New York City, getting drunk, getting high. And that's kind of what I thought life was going to be like, you know, this party scene. Um, 
it, Wait, to go to college or to go into music and arts? Both. This right. is pretty much what I thought as a young man uh, in New York. That's kind of what I thought life was going to be like, this nonstop party. Um, by 21, that all stopped. And I, I kind of figured, oh, wow, I, I we'll get to that later. But I sort of noticed that uh, the people that were going on and partying started dropping dead. I was like, oh, wow, that's not cool. And the people that I noticed that would go to sleep early and show up on time in the studio, those guys were going on to have like real careers. So I very much, you know, shifted my my path in that way and stopped partying and got into health and all that. Anyway, but the Harvard thing was um, a complete fluke. So to be perfectly frank, I went through many years of trying to get a college education, totally failed, um, put out six records as, a, as an artist and... It wasn't until, see, 2001, I had moved to Boston, started producing other artists, and I'm sure we'll touch on that a bit. And so I was living in Boston, and I got a job. I was working in computers, and I was got a job at Harvard. One of the best benefits ever in the history of benefits for a job is if you work for Harvard. It doesn't matter if you sweep the floor, anything, any job you have for Harvard, they let you go there for free of charge and you can get a degree there. Wow. You now you have to get the grades. You, you so and for me it was and this is what I mean about like it was very special and very personal uh for me because I grew up thinking uh, and hearing from, you know, people, you know, guidance counselors, you know, thinking, you know, I wasn't smart enough for this that or the other thing. So to go from drop, you know, uh, dropping failing out of high school to Graduating Harvard with honors was was really uh, it was deeply uh, important to me and and in my family nobody nobody had graduated from a college like that so it was it was big for my family too. That's awesome, man. That's great. Um, that's a cool story and and it's cool to hear how you started out in a place of kind of struggling to find out what you wanted to do with that and then um, you know end up pursuing your musical dreams and your vision of of performance and art and and you know, where you are today with making records. That was a lame segue. <laughs> no, I think the actual segue was a lame segue. Have you seen that thing? It's ridiculous. Know. Oh, yes. Who right. uses yeah. those? Yeah, mall cop, right? Yeah. All right, so uh, I want to talk about a little bit about some of the stuff that's going on with you now. So fast forward a little bit to um, some of the projects that you've worked on. Um, there's one in particular that really got me excited. I know you've got some pretty amazing accolades to your discography and, and uh, you know, some, some big names in your discography, stuff you've worked on. But there was something, there was a particular project that you did just straight from the heart that really just blew my mind. Can you tell us a little bit about the Project 365 or the 365 Project? Sure. Yeah. And, um, so, uh, a very close friend of mine, um, you know how Facebook, uh, <laughs> invaded all of our lives and, uh, in which it's funny, the guy who started it was at Harvard when I went back to school and he started at Harvard there. Um, so Facebook takes over the world and, uh, we find out all these things happening with our friends that we never thought we'd speak to again, because in real life, that's what happened. You lose track. You always wonder what happened to so-and-so from high school or this or that. So I got a chance to reconnect with so many old friends from camp and high school and this and that. Uh, and one of my, uh, one of my very good friends from 
my old neighborhood in high school and actually my first girlfriend because I, I proposed to her when I was five years old. I was going to, yeah, I was going to, I told my mom I was going to marry her in Burger King and uh, get her a ring. We had a little um, hardware store that had a clucking chicken. You put in a quarter and it gave you a ring. So anyway, so I was going to give her a, a little clucking chicken ring and uh, marry her at Burger King. My mom wrote the whole thing down, but this was my very good friend, Dana. And so, you know, we stayed in touch for years on Facebook and then, um, turned out she got uh, diagnosed with uh, stage four oral cancer. And, uh, you know, this was really tough. I mean, it was very tough for her. She had a young child. Uh, she was a single mom and uh, she lived in Atlanta. So at this time I'd already lived in Nashville. So we were only a few hours away and uh, I felt really helpless. I felt like uh, I wish there was something I could do. And uh, so you were mentioning this project. So what I I wanted to raise awareness um, for the kind of cancer that she had. And I, I felt like, because what she had, this oral cancer, it could have been caught earlier. It could have been prevented. Um, she didn't have to suffer. She didn't have to, uh, she eventually passed away. You know, she, she didn't have to. Um, and, um, but I think the best thing that the project did, and I'll, you know, I'll talk about what the project was, but the best thing that it did was, Every day during the year that I did this project, um, she knew that somebody was thinking about her. She knew that um, it kept her spirits up. Um, in my songwriting career, in general, a lot of the songs I write, there are ridiculous. I mean, I've written songs about nipple rings. I've written songs <laughs> about, you know, uh, crickets, uh, you know, like all kinds of crazy. I wrote a song that year about... Um, you know, the locust invasion, what would they call them? Uh, cicadas. Right. The cicadas. The yeah. year, was that the year that we had the three different years all pile up? Exactly. And everywhere you turned was just a cloud of cicadas. In yeah. Nashville. They were in your mouth. They were like everywhere. So I wrote uh, the cicada trilogy. So three days in a row, I wrote songs about cicadas. There was this one song called Sammy the Cicada. And nice. I really wanted it to be based. I wanted to make a cartoon out of it, actually. Uh, and it was Sammy Cicada was like this old man, like old Jewish man Cicada. And he was like on Miami Beach. And he, he's just out there like, oi, oi, it's so humid, you know, like like this old <laughs> Cicada. Anyway, um, but she she was cracking up, you know, she, she loved it. And uh, anyway, so I wrote a song every day for a full year. And I, I actually had started... Uh, 10 days before the new year. And the day I decided to do the the project uh, was I was at a, I was actually at Keb Moe's house because he uh, has a, a party every, every year around that time. And, you know, I was talking to people around there and, and uh, I think the moment I knew it was like really something that, that would be helpful for a lot of people. I was telling some people at his house about it. And one woman I, I was telling about it, um, she pulled me over, she goes, and she just started crying. And, you know, she, she was telling me that she was wearing a wig. She was in the middle of chemo, you know, for breast cancer. And I, I had no idea. I mean, she had a great wig, you know, and, and her spirits were just so great. And obviously I didn't mean to make her cry, but she just gave me a huge hug. And, you know, she told me how much it meant to her, the, you know, that I was doing that for, for somebody. And, you know, that's, that's amazing story. So you, to, you know, to kind of recap that, you reached out to help a friend in a you know in a great time of need and and also to raise her spirits through that critical year of going through the the chemotherapy and the cancer by writing a song every single day um which is just i mean that's like there's like two things to talk about there really um and uh 
tell us also about just the process for you of going through the songwriting. I mean, that in and of itself is is a, a the kind of thing that I think could be seen as just an impossible feat for a lot of people. The idea of I'm going to write a song every single day. I mean, I think there are a lot of people that think I'm going to write a song one of these days, period, you know? Uh, you know, it's it's both easier and harder than you'd expect, <laughs> you know? And uh, it's one of those things, There's if I, even for a second, thought, if I was consciously thinking about what I was attempting to do, there's no way I could attempt it. You know, it was just such an impossible task. Um, there, I, I was sure at the end of the year, there's no way I could ever attempt it again. Um, in fact, I don't think I wrote a song for at least a year after that year. Um, normally these days I write mostly when I'm working with another artist, um, you know, for an artist that I'm producing and then I'll kind of co-write with them. Um, obviously when I was uh, more active as a touring artist for my own material, you know, I was writing a lot more, but, um, for that year, process wise, I mean, I would just, I would pick up my instrument, whatever instrument I felt like picking up that day, whether it was a guitar, um, whether I was sitting down at a keyboard or a piano, um, whether it was some days I would just pick up a bass, um, and I would just, you know, do, 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 just, just come up with some, um, some little bass line. And then, uh, say, Oh, you know, I, I like that riff. I like that riff. And then I would just, uh, you know, like, record into my iPhone or, or my um, laptop. I'd open up my laptop and record the little riff. And then I would just kind of play it back or loop it. And I'd, you know, just record a little thing over it. And bottom line is um, there was no such thing. I just made a rule. There was no such thing as a, as a song that was a bad idea. Yeah. And it was almost like a game. I actually encouraged a lot of people that I worked with that year and in subsequent years to kind of use that as an exercise um, because I felt like it was a great exercise for me. I felt like I needed to write, you know, 300 and something awful songs to write a handful of really great nuggets. That's great. I'd like to include Sammy Cicada in the nuggets, <laughs> even though, you know, it's not useful for anything, but it was such a fun song. Hey, there's a lot more cicadas out there in the world that might be fans of that song than people that might not. The cicadas will rise again. They will definitely they, rise they, again. You know, and they will say, don't call it a comeback. Wow. See how we came full circle there? Back we to did the indeed. So um, talk a little bit about you know the, the goal setting that might have been involved in that too. You know, You came from a place of feeling like your only goal at one point in your life was to have a good party. And then you, you saw people around you <clears throat> sort of getting up early in the morning and going to bed on time or whatever, how, how you described it, 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 that sounds a little bit like people, I don't know, acting responsibly or setting goals or doing something like that. What, what about that was part of your process? I mean, you described it as getting up in the morning and working on a song. Um, did you, did you just kind of set your goal as a daily goal when you did that? Or was there, was there sort of a long-term goal? I know perhaps the goal was for your friend to, uh, to help Dana through the process of, you know, your support. Uh, so, uh, do you mean it? So in goals in relation to the project or just in relation to just, yeah, in relation and, to and, and 
Well, any goals. anything that yeah. um, I imagine there were there must have been three hundred and sixty five you know times an infinite number of reasons to stop and not write a song every one of those days. How did you create this goal setting or this ability that made you feel like I know what I need to do and and here's what I'm going to do next? Not feel overwhelmed by it. Um, well, I I really did approach it as um, I think much in the way that you know, like an alcoholic maybe will approach uh, a recovery program where it's like, uh, you know, you approach it a one day at a time thing, or, you know, you don't try and chew off the whole thing. You just try and say, okay, you know, you got to do this one thing. And and the other, the other thing that I did in, in my mind and in my concept of the whole thing was for the longest time, you know, and there there have been a couple of big things that have happened in my life that we may or may not touch on in this interview that have shifted my whole brain space into a place where I really do believe that any of us can drop dead at any second. So I really don't I don't have anything in my brain that believes in limitations. I really don't believe in waiting for things. Um, I don't believe that anything's impossible. Uh, I, I do know. So like, for instance, I have a lot of friends that, that'll move to Nashville and they always, uh, I hear people say things like, oh God, only if, uh, if such and such, you know, fill in the blank, if I could only meet fill in the blank, whoever this is, you know, I might have a chance at X, you know, whatever that is. And, you know, I, I just, I've never really understood that kind of thinking, you know, I've always been like, um, on the other side of it where it's like, you know, I, I make I make the rules or I make the road and, and I drive on it. And, uh, like, I feel like we're all responsible for our success or, and I wouldn't say failure because I have so many friends that I love dearly that I look at their lives and it's not that they fail. I don't feel like they fail, but I feel like they don't achieve what they could. Um, and I I feel like a good part of it is fear. I feel like a lot of people live with fear, you know, and I'm a lot of people are all of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. And I have, I have my own fears. I'm not saying I don't have fear, but what I am saying is that I, I have this, uh, so in a number of ways and at a number of times in my life, I've had experiences where I almost died. And to be honest, I was able to share some of those experiences with Dana as well. Um, when she had all kinds of surgeries, she wasn't able to talk. She had all kinds of tubes in her, you know, like, uh, you know, for in her neck and her mouth and, uh, you know, everything. And so I called her and I, you know, we had long conversations where, you know, she would be typing, but I'd be talking, you know, and she was so scared. I mean, cause she wasn't able to breathe on her own and this and that. And, and I've, you know, I've experienced that and I've been in the hospital long term and, uh, you know, before the time I was 30. So I, I, I got to a certain point in my life where I was like, okay, you know, I, cause I was a healthy person at that point, you know, in my life, anything can happen. I I've also been walking across the street in a city and a speeding van literally just came by and like just slammed into me. You know, I was thrown across the street in Boston. You know, I mean, these things happen. It could happen to anyone. Like, are you saying Boston drivers aren't careful? Because I grew up there. And uh, <laughs> hey, let me no, tell I'm you kidding. something. You're absolutely right. <laughs> you know, like, but I'm saying, you know, like, you can walk to you can walk to an ATM anywhere in the country, you get shot. I'm saying, like, nothing is guaranteed in this world. 
on any given day, it can be your last. And I really do my best to, to do everything I can to get the most out of every day. And it's not a cliche. For me, it's not a cliche. I know for a lot of people, um, it could be, but, but for me, I really do. I try and live with no regrets and I, I try and live in a way that if I did die in my final seconds, I wouldn't want to be thinking, oh man, why didn't I ever, bah, 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 you know, do something like that. Well, what's so cool hearing your story too is that, um, you know, the way that your experience on the 365 project relates to art and to what we might be doing as, as, you know, with our business in music or as entrepreneurs, which, uh, you know, if you want to go into a career of music, ultimately, you're probably going to have to embrace your inner entrepreneur because, (laughs) you know, most of it, so much of it is self-employed. Right. Um, But your process with the 365 Project, and I think the process that we ultimately all have to embrace that's part of our whole creation process and learning to make records and, you know, just trying to make a wonderful creative thing is knowing our why, you know, and when you were doing that project, the way that you, you seem, I I imagine that the thing that carried you through that songwriting every single day was knowing your why every single day, you know, and then your philosophy of, of just embracing the moment and just saying, I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to spend today worrying about tomorrow. Yeah. Spend today living it, you know, making records, writing songs. I mean that's what that's what the show's about is making hey. records and writing songs and learn yeah, and recording yeah. in the studio and stuff. So, but I think the ins- inspiration of it all is so key, and I think that's what we all need. I mean, the thing that carried me through that carries you from starting out to this point right now that's it's inspiration. It's the the drive to want to be creative and make art. So knowing that and, and becoming aware of that and getting in touch with that is is really at the root of whatever it is that you want to do, I want to do, our listeners, the rock stars, and the future rock stars want to do with their music and their recordings and stuff. So that's great stuff. So, hey, I want to share something that's from your website that I pulled down. Oh, boy. Because um, I know you spend a lot of your career working with other artists, working with songwriters and stuff, and so that you had this great quote on there. I'm going to read it to you, and then if you want to respond to it. Um, so this is from Russell's website, and it is, um, my path is to work with great artists and help them make great art. There's so many acts out there that get up on stage with nothing to offer. Bummer. <laughs> they might be attractive, have a nice voice with a decent song, etc. But this world, the music world, is not made for most of them. And I long for the artists. The ones who are in pain, screaming, needing to make their art, their record, their song, or performance, because without it, they would die. That's me. That's why I am still here. When there is no other choice, then and only then is this truly the right path for you. So that's some, that's some deep stuff, dude. Do you want to, do you want to comment on that a little bit about the, what that means to you or, or how does that, how is that part of your philosophy working with other artists, songwriters, musicians? Well, I, I think that, um, I think if anybody who's ever worked with me is listening to this, they'll, you know, they'll understand that. Um, my process is intense. I mean, because it's, uh, it's no different now than it's ever been. Meaning, um, you know, I don't approach any record that I work on differently than I approach my first record. And, and by that, I mean, Every, every single day I'm working in this industry, every song, every, 
every session, everything to me is special. I mean, every uh, record I work on, uh, I approach as if I might not get a chance to ever work on something again. And, uh, and I, I take, if I, if I get the opportunity to work with a client, you know, and, and they're entrusting me to guide their path and to, to work on a piece of art with them um, and to help them bring it to the world. I mean, that's, you know, it's, uh, it's the greatest trust in the world. It's, um, you know, it's, I, I feel such a heavy burden and responsibility, you know, to them. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't have any children, you know, it's like, I, so for, for me that right now, anyway, <laughs> you know, in my life that I, I, I take it very seriously. It's not, it's funny. It's not that I take myself seriously. I mean, you know, me, we, we joke all the time, but, um, you know, I, I don't take any of this stuff lightly. You know, it's, um, I often talk about how, uh, I've gone for years sometimes without working. I don't mind that. Like, uh, I'd rather go without um, go without food than without the right projects. You know, I, I uh, there there have been times. So so I I've met people. The some of the things the quote refers to is you know I, certainly in big industry towns, L.A., New York, Nashville. I've met lots of people that uh, names aren't important. Where managers have invited me down to a club and said. Oh, Russell, you got to meet this uh, great artist. She's on X record label and blah, blah, blah. And we've heard your work with this artist and we, we think you'd be the great fit and we really want you to do this um, you know, record. And uh, I've met the artist, drop dead gorgeous uh, or you know, super handsome, if, you know, it's guy or whatever. And uh, they got the whole package and they say the right things on stage and they got the gleam in the eye and uh, you know, perfect voice and perfect pitch and whatever it might be catchy lyrics or something, but it's all just... Their shoes aren't even dirty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's all just a little too perfect. You know, it's all just a little too clean. And, um, you know, it's all just a little too spoon-fed for me. And, um, you know, so I... And there might be really great money in it, and but I just, you know, I, I never follow the money. The The money is not... I'm the least money-motivated person <laughs> that I that I know. Um, much to my... my father's uh <laughs> stunning disapproval he's a corporate attorney love you dad if you ever hear this I, I i do um my mom has always been very very uh approving and understanding of what i do you know i think my, my dad at times very confused um you know he's like you have a harvard degree you could go on to law school you know but um that but that being said yeah i mean it's uh you know I, I need to work with the people that came to this like I came to this. I, you know, the, the, the kids from a broken home, you know, the, the kids that, you know, they had the issues with drugs, with alcohol, the, the, you know, that, um, that maybe lived on the streets, you know, that, that just, I don't know, like that, the art served a purpose. And not just for them personally, but that the art serves a purpose, a greater purpose in the world. The art shouldn't just be self-congratulatory. That's not art. Right. You know, the art is supposed to serve a greater purpose for society. It's not just about a hit song. It's about making somebody's life better. Yeah. Or or, or affecting it, making it thought-provoking, feeling emotion-provoking, you know? Yeah. Well, again, once, like I was saying, knowing what your why is is the ultimate motivator for what to do next. And it's interesting that you talk about not being in pursuit of the finance or the money of making a record, but being 
in pursuit of a wealth of creativity, for example. Yeah. Well, good stuff, man. Well, let's let's segue now after these these deep, heavy discussions here and go into our finality, what I like to call the jam session, where I just hit you up with a few fast questions and we can jump into some of the kind of fun, techie, geeky stuff of the studio. All right. Um, so tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, something that was an inspirational, um, actually, let me, let me back up and re-ask this question. Do you have anything that was an inspirational quote about making music, something that kind of turns you on and a saying in, in music making? If you don't, that's fine too. Yeah. I mean, there it's, it was more, it was more of a, more of a concept um, that I picked up. And the truth is I picked it up from enough of the right people just over many years that I can't pin it on one person, but I just picked up enough times over the course of 20 to 30 years that there was no right or wrong way to do something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like to say there's no um, there aren't good and bad microphones that are just the right microphone for the right thing right. you want to do yeah, in yeah. that moment. Yeah, I mean, there are probably some that maybe don't sound that right. good that often. Of course. But, uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're using an Elam 251 or a micro cassette recorder. There's a great I reason to use both. I love those micro cassette recorders. Yeah. And I just picked two really good ones. So <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So um, can you share something that was an important failure or a setback for you and your career that turned out maybe to be a, a great learning lesson? Every record I've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah. I mean, well, at the, you know, all my records were, uh, were failures and uh, I love them dearly. You know, I mean, it's, it's funny. It's, I, I literally learn from every experience I've had, I've had. Um, and they're all failures and they're all successes. I, it's, um, you know, it's just one of those things. I, I tend to learn from everything. It, I, I know that sounds so generic, but I, I really do mean it. I mean, I can tell you, you know, moving to Nashville was very strange for me at first, but then it turned into this great thing. Um, I can, uh, every time I see Martina McBride, I thank her because I was, uh, I can say this on the podcast. I was uh, about ready to leave Nashville in 2010, and then I got this gig playing with her. Um, and uh, if people go to the, whatever the web thing, if you go to the video for uh, wrong baby wrong, you, know, you see me playing with her, uh, that gig spawned a lot of work. And uh, so I always tell her that and she's like, Oh, whatever. I'm like, you know, you, you uh, trust me, you, you helped out a lot. So. Well, that's cool. That probably answers the next question, which was tell us about a moment of success that, that felt like, you know, a hit, a hit moment for you. You know what I'm going to tell you about is, my greatest moment as a performing artist, uh, when I was out there touring, December 4th, 1999, actually. I was in upstate New York uh, in Clifton Park, and I was opening for, at the time, my, my favorite band. Uh, they were a Canadian band named Moxie Fruvis. Now, if you, if you Google them, there's a lot of controversy about one of their members at this point, but let's not even, you know, whatever. Uh, but at the time, they were at the top of their game, and um, I was a huge fan of theirs, and they had given me a real opportunity. And um, I had an album out called Nipple at the time, and at the end of every show, I mean, this is real, at the end of every show, we, we threw out these baby bottle keychains, uh, like, you know, like the top of baby bottles, pierced with keychains. And anyway- nice. 
I got on stage and we played to there. I think there was like 1500 people in the audience. And there are some songs from that somewhere on my website because uh, they had, you know, tapers and everything at their shows. So bootleggers. And so I ended up releasing it as a, a live album. And I got off stage that night, all these people that had never seen me, but they, they knew I was opening for their favorite band. They were singing all my songs within the first verse. They, they caught on by the, by the first chorus. I had made it. For me, that was like my rock star moment as a, as a performer. And I got off that stage and I said to myself, you know, and I'm not a religious person, but I got off stage and I said, you know what? If nothing else ever happens for me in the music industry, thank you. You know, this, this was enough. And think about it, and this is 1999. This is a long time ago at this point. That's great. 16 That's a good years feeling. Ago. Oh, it was amazing. So I feel like everything after that has just been butter, butter <laughs> on top of a warm muffin, which obviously makes the muffin better and juicier. Um, and then, um, yeah, it's really funny. Yeah. That's fun. That's a, that is a good feeling. Um, I don't know that I've experienced that, you know, having somebody sing all my lyrics in the audience like that. Well, and then, so like, if you go forward from there, maybe seven, eight years later, I'm producing artists at that point. And so now we're playing stadiums, you know, now we're opening up for, you know, at the time, like Leanne Rhymes or Sugarland or whatever. And I'm touring with an artist I'm producing, I'm writing with. And now we're in front of like, you know, 20,000, 25,000 people, way more than I'd ever been in front of with my music. But, you know, obviously I feel a part of that act. And so now you can just you can just sneeze and the crowd goes wild. It's really funny. So, you know, uh, if my, if the artist at the time, you know, she was tuning her guitar and there's silence on the stage and all these people are kind of looking around and I would just start up a journey riff, you know, <laughs> on the, on the keyboard and, you know, 25,000 people just go, you know, so, you know, that's, but it, I'm telling you 1999 in front of 1500 people in upstate New York. That was the best. That was the jam, huh? Yeah, that was the jam. Did you try sneezing on the mic to see how that worked? Uh, you know, the sound guy that night would not have been happy. He was a little grizzled. Not so happy about that. So I didn't want to go there. Hi, I hope you're enjoying hearing from today's featured rock star. We are just about to head into the jam session, and I want to let you know that all the cool stuff we talk about will all be available in the show notes for this episode. If you would like me to send it directly to you, all you need to do is text jam session to 33444 and I'll send you free content including the show notes again that's jam session to 33444 and I'll send you free content including the show notes cheers all right so here's the year we start to geek out now yeah. uh, what recording tip hack or secret sauce would you like to share from your experience with our rock stars <sighs> so uh let's see a hack uh well i okay so a hack the big secret weapon is uh don't over compress especially when you're starting out <laughs> it's a pretty easy one yeah uh you know and uh the secret sauce would be you know that there's no secret sauce and that uh, don't use secret sauce until you know how to use secret sauce. <laughs> That's true. There, in my whole career, there have always appeared some new box, some new plugin, oh, yeah. some new something that's supposed to you know do it for you, and inevitably it gets overused 
and then everybody backs off from it and then somebody uses it like crazy and then it becomes trendy. So, yeah, I mean, the, the truth is the secret sauce is your ears and your mind. The same way, because I do a lot of photography as well, the same way that um, I can do a shoot with my iPhone. Now, I have a very nice SLR. And when I do album covers for artists or when I do um, uh, promo shoots for a model or whatever, you know, I use that SLR, but I can just as easily use my iPhone because the photo shoot happens with my, my eyes and my brain. It has nothing to do with the camera. Uh, the same way that uh, the recording has nothing to do with uh, the, this microphone or that plug-in, or this or that. What's wrong with my microphone, man? These are the MicTech PM9s. Right you know, here. I am a MicTech endorsee <laughs> uh, on one of their posters, happily. And uh, anyway, the point is, uh, we can make it work. If if you send me out in the field and say, I need you to get a great record, here, you know, here are these tools. Here's like, you know, like an M-Box from uh, 98, and a uh, copy of Pro Tools, whatever, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to make it work because we have these ears and this brain and we just make it work, you know? Um, so, so you'll develop that if you're meant to, the, the special sauce, you know? But, but in capable ears, any, anything can be used as a, as a really fun tool, you know? Yeah. Well, so to respond to the stuff you just said about overcompressing, I think one of the reasons that I started by overcompressing is because I didn't know what I was hearing back at first sometimes. Sure. So, um, at, at the beginning, especially if you're in headphones or you're in weird monitor situations and you're not 100% certain, you can always undercompress because you can always compress more later. Yeah. So that's great. And then um, as far as you know, new tools that come along that are kind of doing something and, and watch out and be careful with them. You know, Autotune's a great example. But here's the irony, right? So when Autotune first showed up, everybody was being conservative about it and everybody was afraid that you might hear it. And then, and then um, Cher used it on her song and everybody yeah. was like, and that was like, whoa, you know, and then, then T-Pain comes along yeah. and, it, and it's used to the extreme. So what's the advice there? It's, it's be careful with it. I, you know, and the oral exciter was another one when oh. it first showed up, it was like, wow, instant Instamix, you know, or the L2 plugin for limiting. Yeah. So, you know, I think the first, the two reactions you might have are, are be, use it gently a little bit and then, you know, give your ear a break and come back and see what you think tomorrow or just dig right in and start <laughs> the next fad well, now, sure. you know, why wait? Yeah. I mean, the truth is you, if you have time, you can do anything you want. So if you if you have time and you should in the beginning, you should have time. So you should give yourself time to screw up. Screwing up is like the best thing you can do. Screwing up is awesome. That is the best way to learn. This is the best way to learn to cook, best way to learn to uh, record, best way to learn to write songs. Screwing up is essential to life. I and, think you could almost yeah. say for certain that uh, rock stars, your favorite records that you listen to those little bits and pieces those favorite parts that weird thing that happened with the vocal or that bizarre breakdown or the distorted guitar that did that amazing thing accidents they were probably yeah. accidents that got captured sure. and, and saved for later um and then the last thing i wanted to say about your secret sauce comment is i think the the takeaway is you are the secret sauce yeah just you know you you are the best thing you can bring to any recording you do the tools are just there to help you. 
help you bring your own personality, put your heart into it. All right, next up, um, do you have a favorite book maybe you've been reading that you want to share? So sadly, uh, with my really raging attention deficit disorder, my brain is not wired up to read. I, I, can't, I literally cannot read. Okay. It's, it's awful. All right. Well, there's probably yeah. other people who have the same experience. Do you have some substitute that, that seems to satisfy your, your desire for learning, for example? You know, I can read kind of short form stuff. I mean, uh, when the internet really got rolling, I, I started to read a lot of articles online. Um, I, I've, I mean, I've gotten tape op since forever ago, yeah. you know, she were posting about Larry, you know, Larry Crane, we're referencing. Yep. We put a little footnote there. We just, we just yeah. saw him yeah. this week at NAMM here awesome. in Nashville. So, uh, you know, I mean, I've read tape op forever, but you know, you know, I read the shorter articles, but sometimes I'll read the, uh, you know, the long interviews, but it'll just take me a while to get through them. So I'll read a section at a time. So it's like read a section, look at a squirrel, read a section, look at a squirrel. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's real tough. It, you know, people, I, I think people that there are a lot of people that think ADD doesn't exist. I mean, there really are. And it's, but to people that actually have it, it's very frustrating because you'll read a section of something or you'll, you'll try and read a page of something and you get to a certain point and you realize you have no idea. Like, first of all, your, your brain is on something else and you have no idea what you just read. You have to go back to the top of the page and it's all new again. And then that just, it's a cycle that just keeps repeating. It's very frustrating. So, you know, like the people say RT, FM, you know, read the... Right, right. Manual. Right. We can't, you know, so, so, which was really cool for learning. Like I can't read a note of music, but I've been playing music since I was seven years old, you know, so I can't open up a sheet of music. You know, I just learned by hitting notes and I was like, oh, hey, I like how that sounds or, you know, so I play stuff by ear. I always have, you know. Okay. So um, do you ever find that video is a good substitute for that? Sometimes, but you know, it's, I, I find that my my brain sometimes trails off with with visual, uh, in a similar way, not as bad with with text, but sometimes with video it does trail off a little. Yeah, so short shorter videos. Shorter videos are great. That's why you were, you were telling me you you uh, legit watched some videos some uh, on some stuff, some recording stuff, and they were long. He was telling me how, how long these videos were. I'm I'm thinking, how do you get through all that? There's <laughs> no, no actually, way I could. Actually, you know what? I, what I was talking about was I just finished watching. Uh, Joe Gilder, who is also on Recording Studio Rockstars, he did a series of excellent video tutorials for PreSonus Studio One, which we is we love PreSonus, which is a very cool app um, for recording audio in. And um, he created a series of videos, and they're actually all pretty short, like five minutes, six minutes, I'm you know, ten max or something. But I sat down and binged watched them all <laughs> last night. Did you make popcorn? I watched forty five videos back to back, and and I loved it. It was great. So I highly recommend if you're curious about Studio One, go check out Joe Gilder's videos for that. All right, so we're getting near the end here, but continue on with a few more questions. A favorite hardware tool, something that you really enjoy using in the studio, whether it's something from a tuner to a mic or a piece of favorite gear. You know, for example, one of mine is 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 my old Boss Doctor Rhythm. Just anything yeah. eyeball, something you, something you really yeah, enjoy yeah, yeah, in the yeah, studio. Yeah. So, uh, so I think it's you know what's what's really fun is just to just go over like kind of this chain that I that I set up that I like to use a lot. I don't use it for mobile just because it's it's kind of ungainly to to take it out of the rack. But um, 
it's the cheapest chain that I've ever set up. And, uh, but I love it so much. It's just dirt cheap. And people look at it and it's just, quote, garbage. No offense to the companies that made it. But you know what I mean? Like, it's not this glorious vintage gear, but it sounds amazing. And I've used it on so many records that are on the radio and just whatever. Um, so first of all, you start with a great artist that has a great voice. So perfect. Start with that. And your source should be great, right? Um but then uh, Mike Tech mics, I use a lot of Mike Tech mics, uh, tend to love the CV3s. Um, I, I, had a, I still have a CV4. Uh, a lot of singers I've worked with in Nashville tend to favor the CV3, but I, you know, I kind of keep them both set up. Mm-hmm. And Those are both tube mics. Yes. Uh, well, the, uh, yep, they're both tubes. One of the CV3 is one. Of, well, anyway, so we'll move on from that. So then we're going into... Um, I have my API. See, I kind of grew up on two consoles, like in Jersey and New York. I used to use a lot. One was a, you know, kind of the API older consoles, and one of the uh, Trident eighty Bs. Uh, so, but I have a couple of racked API pre's. So I go into the APIs, and then I'm going into it's this really cheap, uh, not sounding but cheap looking uh, Art uh, VLA two uh, compressor. <laughs> Nice. And it's, I mean, it's just awesome. And I set it up kind of the same way I'd set up um, a TubeTech uh, CL1B. This is so kind of that. And that, the, the ART or the ART is uh, one of the tube compressors? Yeah. It's, so I bet it has a nice gritty presence to it, right? It, you know, the way, the way I, I, it's really warm. And I, I kind of set it up to this really slow moving uh, thing. It, it's really good on vocals. The way the way I have it set up, I, I'd have to take a picture. I'll send you the settings, but okay. but it's it's super groovy on bass and vocals. And I I kind of have one. It's a stereo unit, but I keep one set for the my favorite settings for vocals, one on bass. Anyway, so there's that, and then I have this one piece that's even. So that piece I got for about seventy five bucks on Craigslist. And this other piece that I got for 35 bucks on Craigslist is my favorite reverb in the world. <clears throat> it is a Behringer, and it was a, uh, let's see, a 2496, a, a V-Verb Pro. Um, I don't know that one yet. It's Well, it was on the market for a very short time. I'm not going to comment as to why it left the market. Um, I, there was speculation. You can Google it. I don't know. I don't need to know anything about that. All I need to know is there was a, a young man in Dallas that was selling it for $35 and I purchased it and it has been in my rack since probably for about seven years. Nice. And uh, pretty much every record I've uh, produced in Nashville, it's been on there somewhere and it is glorious. That's That's cool, man. I love stuff like that. It's just a reminder that it doesn't have to be a high dollar piece of gear for it to be the best choice or sound the best on your record. Yeah. So um, can you share with us a favorite software tool for making records, something that you really like, whether it's a, a DAW or a plugin or, or some, you know, third party thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I can say that I mean, there's so many software tools I love and that I use on a regular basis. I mean, I, I'm really, really lucky to have wonderful, uh, relationships with so many companies like, you know, Sound Toys and, and um, Stephen Slate's a good friend, another nice Jersey boy. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of Slate stuff I use on sessions. 
I, I would tell you that on a lot of stuff, um, I find myself using UAD plugins um, that I travel because I travel so much for these international um, records I make, and I'll bring my little UAD twin, which is their little two-channel um, version of their larger Apollo. So it's an Apollo twin, and I bring another um, a Firewire. <laughs> now they have the Thunderbolt one, but I have right. a Firewire uh, extra card in there. So that gives me basically an Apollo quad on the road, and then I can use all the UAD plugins uh, on the road. So it's a really nice portable setup. It fits in my carry-on bag, and then, you know, it's kind of compact. Um, so that way I don't have to worry about missing my, you know, that Behringer reverb or anything. I can make do with the other reverbs. It's just, you can't see the sarcasm in my, uh, my point <laughs> is I can use a $5,000 reverb and be just as happy. Of course, that's a, uh, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I've used yeah. some UA plugins here. Um, they were actually with my older version of Pro Tools nice. when I had Pro Tools 6 still running in here. I did a huge jump. I jumped from Pro Tools 6 TDM to Pro Tools 11 HDX in one move. <laughs> that is and, uh, daring. But what's what's so cool about those UAD plugins is um, the LA-2A and the 1176, I had copies of their original TDM versions of them. So and you they got the new, the new versions, yeah. No, well, actually, I don't. Oh. I haven't even switched up to the new ones yet. Gotcha. Uh, but the, you know, the very first thing they came out with still rivals any new of the newest plugins that I use. So I, I definitely am a fan of UAD, and I'm looking forward to getting, you know, getting into the Apollo and, and uh, the cards and getting that stuff included in the studio, too. It's a good time. All right, so share a resource for the business side of the recording studio, something, business. you know, it could be software or a technique or a particular person you work with that you really like. Yeah, I mean, I I would tell you, so a business thing, technique or otherwise, is, uh, first of all, write everything down everything. And um, I would say, especially if you're working with somebody that you love, some a friend, somebody you know a long time, just write everything down. If they seem to take it personally, write everything down twice. <laughs> like, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, that's one of those, maybe, maybe this is a better answer to one of those questions about like things that I made mistakes early on in my career not writing things down. So many misunderstandings are possible. Uh, so many hurt feelings are possible. So many broken relationships happen in this industry that started out as great friendships. Um, it's so easy to, to lose sight of uh, where you start with someone over some stupid misunderstanding. Um, just write, write everything down. Even if you don't have a, an entertainment attorney, you write down a simple contract in simple language between you and a friend and just make two copies and you both sign it and date it. Uh, even if it's in simple, easy to read language, because that way, when you get to the end of the record, everybody understands everything. Because even if you say, hey, um, for instance, uh, I am buying, uh, I'm making a record with Lidge and I'm buying Lidge a, uh, a CL1B to uh, do this record. And Lidge says, yes, you know, I'm accepting a CL1B uh, to do this record. And we both sign it. I know Lidge, Lidge knows me, but we both sign that and then it's cool. And then we don't have to worry. There's no misunderstandings. And uh, because then we say we don't write it down. And then like, let's say I never bring him the CL1B. And then like a few months goes by and he, now we're friends. And he's like, hey man, I don't, Russell never brought by that thing. Nah, do I want to call him? And then, then, then the relationship's weird. 
So there are resources. It's good to get an entertainment attorney if you if you can. And a lot of people might be listening to this and be like, wow, I can't afford an attorney. Great news. Uh, in Nashville and probably in a lot of other cities, they have resources. Um, if you're in the arts and have low income, like most of us in the arts, um, they have both legal aid available here in Nashville. And there's also um, a volunteer legal aid for the arts. I might be saying the um, the thing wrong, but if they can, if they email you, Lidge, I'll make sure you have the, the information. But there's a uh, society through Music Cares and through the mm-hmm. Grammy Association that uh, provides legal aid. Um, and they'll, they'll give you a lawyer. They'll go over contract negotiations. They will represent you if you're sued. Uh, they will help you if you're if you're in need in contract negotiations wow, and what stuff. Wow, what an amazing resource, man! Yeah. I, I didn't was not aware of that. I must have known that something like that existed, yeah. but we'll make sure to include that in the show notes so that people can pursue that and find out more about that. And I, I think your advice is is fantastic. Having stuff written is the easiest way to refer back to it later because you know we all begin this as a couple of people with instruments yeah, potentially just yeah. jamming together, you know, and ide- ideas are generated and then they're gone by the next bar. And uh, But if you want to build a business out of this, you have to be able to be very, very clear and make it easy for somebody who maybe doesn't even know you yet to know what it was that you agreed on. Email has become a great part of that for me. You know, we didn't, we, when we started, we didn't have email and now it exists. And so if, as long as you have a careful email thread, you can always refer back to that and it just helps clear up things for sure. All right. So last question, and then we'll, we'll be done here. If you were dropped in a strange city and you could only take a simple setup for recording, sounds like this happens to you a lot, actually. <laughs> what would you choose? How would you find people? To, and you also didn't know anybody. How would you find people to record? And how would you make ends meet right away to continue recording? Of course, this question is really kind of addressed towards our rock stars who are starting out learning to record. And, you know, they, they could be people moving to a new city for the first time and wanting to start out. And they really don't know anybody and they don't know what to do. And, you know, might even be renting a, a single room in a shared living space, for example. Hmm. So oddly, this is the easiest question you've asked all day. I don't know why. So, uh, so this is, uh, maybe because this is so common for me and I have moved around so much and I do drop into countries I've never been to ever before and have to do this. So I, um, this, in this day and age, um, a UA Apollo twin, um, if I'm bringing just one mic, I'm just going to go with like single everything. Um, a uh, CV3 uh, from um, a mic tech made right here by hand in Nashville. A Obviously the cables, let's assume the cables are all there. Um, a, let's see, a laptop with uh, probably Pro Tools because I know what I'm doing on there. And a guitar. A little, a small, because I'm assuming I'm traveling light, a small keyboard so I can make keyboard sounds with the pedal and everything. And um, how I would find people is probably just go to the middle of this town and hang out every night and see where the musicians are, you know, and I would see who are the, who are the ones I want to hang out with and See, where are they doing their, where are they playing? Where are they doing? It doesn't even, I speak their language. It doesn't matter because music is universal. And uh, I found that in Prague. I found that in in Germany. I found that in Paris where I 
I got a, a pickup band in like 10 minutes and ended up playing a show and they were playing my music. They, they We didn't speak the same language and these guys backed me up on stage in Paris. It was crazy. Wow. Um, so I, uh, the, the other thing I would do though is if I had to make ends meet, obviously I could go back to one of my gazillion jobs I've had in this industry, such as waitering or something, but probably be more fun to take out the guitar, open the case and just play music in the middle of that city and just get whatever money people throw in it. And I would do that every day until people realized that I was there to record other people. It's great advice, man. I like it. And I like that you included a guitar too. It wasn't just for a recording rig. It was an instrument too, you know, and it points out the importance of being able to communicate with the other musicians. You know, you show up with a guitar, you can, you can actually play with somebody. I, I, yeah, it's worth mentioning when I, when I, uh, when I produce in this town, I mean, I always play with the, with the tracking bands. I uh, generally on guitar, you know, I generally play rhythm with the band. I'm leading the sessions every so often I'll, I'll be on piano during the sessions, but I like to lead from the session. I feel more part of the, the record what's happening. Nice. Yeah. Well, any closing words to our, uh, to our rock stars, any, anything, anything to inspire them moving forward? Sure. Go into just about any other industry Unless, wait, wait, wait for it. Unless you have no other choice. And then I'll welcome you with open arms. Nice, man. I love it. Dude, thanks so much for joining us on Recording Studio Rockstars and for taking, you know, a good chunk of time out of your day to come chat with us. Can you let our listeners and our rock stars know how they can find you, learn more about you and uh, follow you on the internet or maybe not come knocking on your door, but maybe follow you on the internet. <laughs> well, you know, I've had plenty of stalkers, so uh, you can <laughs> you can find me at the uh, Department of Justice. Um, no, first of all, uh, I want to thank Lidge uh, for having me. You're, you're a great friend and uh, you're doing a great service with this, uh, with this podcast. And, but I'm great to have you in my life as a friend too. Thanks man. Um, I appreciate that. I actually just lost a bet, which is why we had to do this. It's all right, thing, man. But, whatever, yeah. it is, whatever it is, whatever it is. So, uh, if people want to find out, obviously they could Google Russell Wolf. They might get the VP of sales for ESPN, but more more likely they'll get the bald music guy. Um, so it's uh, two S's, two L's in Russell, two F's at the end of Wolf. Um, I'm uh, on uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter at, at Russell Wolf. And uh, the website is just RussellWolf.com. I think uh, that's, I mean, those are the big ways. Cool. Yeah. Can they uh, contact you, I guess, through Twitter, or maybe there's a contact on your website? Sure. You yeah, I believe there's just me at RussellWolf.com. Also, if you're looking for somebody to help you produce your next record and, and you just have a burning desire to get your music out, Russell might be your guy. It could It could happen. Stranger you, things. You don't happened. even have to have a flashy glean in your eye and, and look great <laughs> on stage either. You could be all bloodshot for all we care. We just, <laughs> you know, We don't know. Right on, dude. Thanks for coming and joining us. And uh, I think it's time for us to go get some brunch. Oh, man. We're going to be like comedians in cars uh, eating coffee grounds. <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> I've done it before. I'll do Delicious. it again, I'm sure. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make it better, please leave a rating and review on iTunes to help reach more people. You can click directly over to iTunes or go to recordingstudiorockstars.com slash review for an easy explanation. And if you want more free content, all you have to do is text RSRockstars to 33444. Again, that's RSRockstars to 33444. 
and I'll keep you in the loop with articles, videos, and podcast updates. And I'll let you know about any upcoming giveaway offers, all totally free. Thanks for listening. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is Recording Studio Rockstars. Now, go make great music. Music.